I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another fantastic edition. And yes, I'm being presumptuous about that, but I'm just going to say it because (laughs) it usually is fantastic, right, guys? Of the Athletic Hockey Show, I am Rob Pizzo, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger in Vegas and Mike Russo in Minnesota. How are we, boys? Doing well. How are you, Rob? Yep. Well, I mean, you should be doing well. We're about to have a fantastic edition of the show. Uh, I'll we call it that. We're going to have an above average show. That's uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I think this will be. That's all you can aim for, right? Just yeah. just a little bit above average. Um, and yeah, we've got, as usual, a, a boatload of stuff to go through. Not only things that happened last night, but things throughout the week, as we always do on this show. Uh, and later on, we're going to speak to John Shannon, who, you know, some people know him as a behind the scenes innovator in, in in sports broadcasting some people know him as a in front of the camera personality some people know him as both and a little bit in between uh he just wrote a book called evolve or die hard lessons from a hockey life uh we're going to talk to him in segment number two but guys how do we not start with ovi um goes into last night's game uh scores in the first 30 seconds scores number 798 
$7.99 and then the magical $800 to complete the hat trick. Uh, of course, only two other players have ever done it. Some guy named Gretzky, some guy named Howe. Uh, and Gordy Howe is at 801, of course. So he's got one more just to tie Mr. Hockey himself. Um, I, I, I don't want to keep repeating myself that he's the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game, even if he retires right now. Uh, but this, this still amazes me every time he does anything and, and does it with a flair of the dramatic. Um, what'd you think of last night? And, and even the ovation, the sta- standing ovation in Chicago and hats being thrown on the ice in Chicago. Uh, that alone is an accomplishment. Jesse, what'd you think? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with it was he's on the road in Chicago. These fans uh, have not had a lot to cheer about. The Blackhawks are terrible. Um, They started the season off a little better, but they're kind of coming back to what we all thought they would be. And they had an absolute ball watching Ovechkin score three goals against their Hawks. Um, (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. The the OV chants were great. Um, and And then I saw some photos after the game uh his stall they i guess like a bunch of the players put took the hats off the ice and put them like piled them onto his locker room stall so he gets back to the locker room and his stall is just covered in hats but it's hilarious that they're blackhawks hats like a guy <laughs> the the capitals best player in franchise history scores a hat trick to hit 800 and there's just blackhawks uh hats all over his locker room stall it was great it just shows you that uh ov transcends fandom yeah, I agree with you. And and I think what what's really cool is it happens in an original six city. I mean, it could have happened, you know, in Washington tonight. That would have been really cool. Part of me wondered if he would go for the hat trick just to do it at home. Um, but that guy's got a flair for the dramatic. I mean, he gets the seven ninety three, and and next thing you know, he scores seven goals in four games to get to eight hundred. Like, why waste time? Um, it, it's it's he required the fewest number of goals ever to go from 700 to 800. I mean, it's, it's just really crazy. Like Gretzky, it took him 231 games. Him, it took 162. Um, he at, you know, he's at 0.6 something goals per game from age 30 on. It, it's, it, he's just it's as, as, yeah, I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, it, just to watch him continue to do this. And again, for it to happen in original six city on the road, I think it's awesome. It really did actually remind me with Mark Andre Fleury got number 500 in Montreal last season while he was with the Blackhawks coincidentally. And obviously he's from Montreal. So that was a big reason for it. But if you remember at the end of that shutout there, um, the fans were just serenading him in, in a rival building. And that's something that you never think would happen. And I just love that the fans now, I, I think this would have been, the respect would have been in any road city, but for the fans to do that in Chicago, uh, to see, to recognize the moment on how special this milestone was, it's, it's really remarkable, uh, to, to just see him continue to thrive at this age. Thrive, I think is the word, Russo. We, we've seen consistent goal scorers, yeah. you know, and, and I don't want me to put these guys on a lower level or anything, but I always think of Mike Gartner and he had all those 30 goal seasons and guys who just consistently put the puck in the net. But we're talking about a guy who last season, his 17th NHL season scored 50 goals. Yeah. We're talking about a guy who's in his 18th season. And if he won the Rocket uh, Richard Trophy to this year, would you be surprised? Absolutely not. He's not human. And yeah. As, as you said, Russo, with 162 games to get from 700 to 800, at this points per game, or excuse me, goals per game rate, he's going to break Gretzky's record in the next 158 games or sometime in the first third of the 2024-2025 season. If he doesn't get hurt, this is a foregone conclusion. He has 325 goals since age 30. 
And as we said, you know, as to your point there, Rob, we talked about this a couple shows ago. I mean, just imagine if he didn't have some of these interrupted seasons because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. the the late start to the lockout, the late start because of the pandemic. Um, you know, that's there's three seasons in his career that um that essentially didn't happen, plus the 2004 five lockout where there was no season. Um, you know, is it's, it's just it really is unbelievable. And um, you know, I, I found a picture last night of him at the 2004 Stanley Cup final um, in uh, the Marriott Water Street. It's now, it used to be called the Marriott Waterside. And that back then, they and they still do, they bring all the top prospects. They used to bring a ton more, but they bring the top prospects into the Stanley Cup final for all the media to, to interview. And Ovechkin was there in 2004. He spoke almost no English. He was wearing a tie that I'm telling you, I think he bought at Marshall's. Like it had a tag on it that I think said Marshall's on the back. And I only know this because I'm actually in the picture right behind him. I had a lot more hair then. But he, I mean, he's just this pimple-faced kid, no gray hair, no NHL goals yet. You know, like uh, that to me is what's amazing is that this was only 18 years ago. And that guy didn't score one single NHL goal. And here he is 18 years later and he's got 800 well on his way to breaking a record that I think none of us ever thought would be broken. I th- we we talk a lot about his longevity and like how he's been able to do this late in his career. It's to to me what makes it even crazier is when you look at the players in NHL history that have lasted and and their game has lasted into their late thirties, getting into your forties. It's usually the light of foot, like the the skinny, like quick guy who who doesn't carry a lot of weight and can kind of just fly around the ice and and his his legs aren't giving out. Like Ovechkin is an ox. Like this guy is built like a semi truck, and the fact that he's that big and he's still doing it, and like he plays a physical game. This guy is That's not it. avoiding checks. Like he is initiating contact still to this day every night out there like he's finishing his checks he's using the body to to get to the dangerous areas of the ice like i don't everything about this is amazing but to me like this this isn't a guy who's gotten to to this point and who's who's lasted this long in the league by avoiding the hard areas and by not having major contact like this guy it's unbelievable how like that, that his body the way he plays he's been able to do this goals are hard I know I'm not, I don't have any breaking news here, but goals are hard. And all those players, even if you want to talk about Gretzky, the last time Gretzky led the NHL in goals was his eighth season. Okay. And remember, he played 19 seasons. Um, Even players who continue to contribute and are, are, are viable players, their goals go down. That just happens. And it just hasn't happened with him. And when you look at his 800 goals, forgive me here, guys, for a second. I just want to read some of the things that are the most in NHL history. 409 road goals, most in NHL history. 292 power play goals, most in NHL history. 270 go-ahead goals, most in history. First goals, 245, that's the most. 140 tying goals, 136 game opening goals, 25 overtime. He just, he does it every single way. The only way he hasn't really done it, and I thought this, that was funny, he's got five shorthanded goals among the fewest in the mem- of members in the 500 goal club. He ain't killing penalties, and when he does, he still scores, but... <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm at a loss for words for this. Uh, I think he's clearly going to do it. And you look at those three goals last night, though, which I thought was funny. They were the most un goals ever. Like, he really was in that dirty, blue ice kind of jamming home rebounds. I wanted to see top of the right circle, of the, of the circle on a power play, but we didn't get to see it. <laughs> I um, wonder what would have happened if he was a Florida Panther. I've told you that. I've told you guys that story, right? 
Yep. Yep. So in 2004, when he was drafted, the year before we're in Nashville, I'm covering the Florida Panthers. There were two or three times late in the draft where the where the Panthers had their microphone turned off. At one point, Rick Dudley stormed out of the arena because he was so humiliated about this whole situation. So it took a lot of reporting. You know, back then there wasn't like, you can't just text a bunch of people. He had to like track people down. It took a lot of reporting. What had happened was the Panthers tried to uh, draft Ovechkin in like, remember it was a nine round draft back then. And they tried to draft him like two or three times in there. And their their the final one, if I remember correctly, was was it Tanner Glass? I'm trying to look this up real quick. Um, somebody in the ninth round, I think it was Tanner Glass with Vancouver. Um, God, it's just driving me crazy. I'm gonna have to figure this out. But anyway, so 2003, they tried to do this, and their contention was is that based on leap years, that he would have been eligible for that draft. Because he was born on September 17th, if I'm remembering correctly, and you're eligible based on your birthday as far as September 15th. So if he's with leap years, if you count wow. that, and the reason why the the, the Panthers uh, came up with this rule is their owner at the time, Alan Cohen, was in the generic drug uh, industry. And he had won some big like court case where basically with generic drugs based on leap years, he was able to get a jump on some of his competitors to try to essentially create this generic drug, whether it was penicillin or something like that. And anyway, um, he decided that when he saw that, that Ovechkin with leap years would have been eligible for 2003, he basically tried to get Rick Dudley to draft him many times. Rick was humiliated by it, stormed out of the building. And by the way, it was Tanner glass. And I've actually interviewed Tanner glass about this. And, and uh, they wound up, so again, Panthers with the 265th pick tried to take Alex Ovechkin. The mic is turned off. Um, it, like Jim Gregory screamed at the Panthers on the speaker. I'm like, what is going on here? Then all of a sudden, the Panthers are like, uh, we'll take forward Tanner Glass. And for, to this day, whenever I, I th- I've interviewed Tanner Glass about this and when, whether or not he knew that the Panthers basically took uh, him as a concession to after after losing out on Ovechkin. And I've interviewed Ovechkin on this too, and he's heard the story at well, as well. So I just think it's hilarious that the Panthers essentially took Tanner Glass instead of Alex Ovechkin. Kind of funny that he scores such a milestone goal, and you almost feel like putting any celebration on hold for two more goals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he, let's celebrate 800, and then you're you're passing one of the greatest players, if not a lot of people think the greatest player in the history yeah. of the game, in two more. Wait till eight oh two, and then and then go and celebrate. I mean, it was well, so it was, big was, last night. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Laz- Lazarus's tweet last night was hilarious. He basically called it a disappointing night for him because he didn't tie or pass Gordy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh man, this guy's just unreal. And it was so big last night. Mitch Marner two assists in the Leaf game. The streak now up to twenty three games. Twelfth different player in NHL history to have a run of that length. And that was just so put aside. Like it just does. But I mean, also that the streak continued early in the first period. So it's always nice to kind of, yeah. you know, get a streak like that. But Jesse and I talked a lot about the streaking uh, last week, Russo. I'm, I'm curious on your your take on this, Marner. When, when does a, a streak start really catching your attention like this? Well, I think that. I mean, I just think it's, you know, look, you could play great and not get a point, right? I watched last night's game. I thought Aston Matthews was really, really good. And you look at the end of the night of a 7 nothing win, and he's got one assist. Um, you know, it, it's, it's as you mentioned, it's hard to score goals. It's hard to get points. You're depending on a lot of other guys finishing on your great setups. Um, 
Toronto was here a couple weeks ago, and I watched uh, Marner play, and he just looks like he is on all cylinders right now. And you look back now at some of the last two or three years when there were all these rumors out there that they might have to trade Marner or want to trade Marner or the fans want him traded or whatever, and here he is coming out and just playing, uh, you know, to me, the best hockey of his career. I just think it's outstanding. The Leafs look really, really good right now. Um, they're getting incredible goaltending. And um, because of that, uh, you know, it's almost, isn't it funny? It almost feels like people are more talking about their outstanding goaltending that they're getting right now because it's such a surprise considering who they brought in this offseason. And uh, my Marner's, as you mentioned, it's almost like a backseat. And it's almost tip, it's almost, it almost was perfect last night that Marner takes the backseat because Ovechkin had a perfect night. And a back-to-back shutout by by yep. Samsonov too, right? Like you're right. Like it's one of those like you know, oh, forget it. You know, we're we're talking talk about this, but see how long this thing goes. Um, let's shift gears here a bit, guys. Uh, the Board of Governors meetings wrapping up in Florida yesterday. There are uh, let's say five things I want to ask you about. So we'll treat this kind of rapid fireish. Um, weeks ago, we talked about the reports that the, the salary cap was going to go up and go up significantly uh, in the off season because there was the um, belief that escrow would be paid back in full. Um, according to Gary Bettman, that might not be the case. And these are according to projections. Uh, they're going to fall about 70 million short, which means in the offseason, if the cap were to go up, it's going to go up 1 million as opposed to $4 million. Uh, thoughts on this and how much you got GM scrambling a bit now because they thought they'd have a little more money. Jesse? Yeah, yeah, it's bad news, obviously, for business for the NHL. Um, not terrible news, but they're not doing as well as maybe they they thought. But to me, I remember when the projections came out, We, I, I said, man, this is great for hockey because it's going to make teams spend money in the offseason. The offseason is going to be more fun. There's going to be less penny pension. There's going to be more teams going for it. And now it looks like it might not happen. That would really suck. Um, I can't imagine how tough it is for these GMs to not have certainty when you're like signing these contracts long term. And like these guys are trying to plan for three, four years from now, let alone this upcoming offseason. And they don't know how much money they're going to have to work because I think I think if, if they hadn't been so pressed against the cap in the last few seasons, it wouldn't be so bad. But because more than half the league is pressed as tightly as they can get to the salary cap, um, it's like it's making things really, really difficult on these guys. Um, they're going to find out last minute whether or not they are going to have room to add a player or whether or not they're going to have room to retain a player that's hitting free agency. Um, it makes their lives a lot more difficult. But as Bill Guerin said, when we, I mean, sorry, Armstrong said when we had him on here, um, I thought his answer was fascinating. Maybe this is some, some GMs aren't against this and maybe mm-hmm. uh, uh, he's getting his wish of uh, the comp- the competition between the GMs who can sign the best contracts, who can fit under the cap. Uh, this this may give those GMs who think they're a little better than the other ones at that um, a little bit of an edge. Yeah. Doug Armstrong, by the way, uh, we will have uh, we're hoping to have Bill Armstrong on one of next week's shows, by the way. Um, I totally agree with you, Jesse. Um, you know, it, it just um, <laughs> uh, like, again, I know I always bring things back to Minnesota, but they got nine players that are either pending RFAs or UFAs and they got fifteen and a half million dollars to spend. And one of those players is Matt Boldy, by the way, a potential superstar that they can clearly only afford to sign to a bridge deal. It is, um, it's, it's, this puts a lot of, I, th- I think that a lot of teams thought they were getting a lifeline and now are learning that they're not. 
And it's going to make things really interesting heading into the trade deadline here because I think that you know some teams might now have to either dump players now or uh, make really, really tough decisions this offseason. BOG, topic number two, the Ottawa Senators' ownership situation. Of course, they are officially for sale. Uh, and apparently there are 12 interested buyers who signed NDAs because that means they can look at the books and see if they want to actually move forward with this sale and Ryan Reynolds still in play. Ryan Reynolds may join one of these 12 groups, but I'm wondering how long this thing's going to get take to get done because it's starting to get to that point where you're like, okay, either move along or call me when it's over. Russo? Yeah, I mean, th- this stuff takes a while. We don't want a situation like the Islanders several years ago. <laughs> you want to yeah, vet made, these yeah. guys. Yeah, you want to vet these guys and make sure. And and that's my gut is to make sure I, like, that I, they're actually rich. Yeah. Is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. to make sure they're actually yeah. rich? <laughs> like, look, let's let's be honest. Like Ryan Reynolds said a couple of weeks ago on uh, was it Fallon show that uh, you know he needs a sugar daddy or sugar mama. So I think that's actually what's going to happen at the end of the day. Here is that there's going to be a big money owner, and then Ryan Reynolds is going to whoever that's with is going to step in as some sort of minority owner, maybe a face of the franchise uh, type person. Uh, we broke news, by the way, on the Athletic Hockey Show a couple of weeks ago because Bill Daly. It was the, we were the first ones that Bill Daly told that uh, he actually met with Ryan Reynolds, and so um, you know. It, Everybody was acting at the G- at the uh, board of governors this week like this was huge news that they actually sat down with them. I was like that was on our show, um, but uh, been listening, I, yeah, there you go. Um, but anyway, uh, like I I just think that this is uh, uh, look we've we've written um, we had an unbelievable expose in the athletic over the summer about just the you know the real difficult ownership uh, the last several years and the morale inside that organization. And um, I think this is only a good thing that that somebody else is going to come in and take control of a franchise that, you know, many, many years ago was one of the top top franchises in the league, was winning, went to a Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, I think it's a good thing. The, the reason this takes so long is 100% that Islander situation. Um, I was talking to, I was talking to Golden Knights owner Bill Foley a couple weeks ago about his, uh, he's buying, it actually just went final yesterday. He's buying the uh, AFC Bournemouth. Uh, Premier League team over in Europe, uh, soccer team. And I was talking to him. I was like, where are you at in the process? And he's like, yeah, they're currently doing like background checks. Um, but I think I'll be fine because it's nowhere near as intensive as the NHL one when I bought the Golden Knights. I was like, really? How intense was it? He's like, they went back. Now, Bill Foley's like 60 something years old. Um, uh, he, they went back and talked to people who served in the army with Bill Foley when he was like in his 20s. To get to know Bill, the NHL went that far back to to interview people to find out about Bill Foley, and you've got to imagine it's because they once sold a team to a guy who had no money. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's definitely why this is taking so long. Um, I thought it was hilarious when when Bill told me that. Um, it is definitely an intensive process. Uh, they are they they find out everything they can before they send uh, before they sell a team to to somebody in this league. It takes a whole lot for Gary Bettman. To say we fucked up. I remember watching that 30 for 30 that Kevin Connolly did big shot and seeing Gary Bettman say, yeah, we fucked up. He didn't use that word, but I'm going to use it. And thinking, oh, wow, you must have for Gary Bettman to say, yeah, we messed up. So, yeah, John Spano, I guess he's the reason uh, all this is going on. Uh, Topic number three, and this kind of stems from uh, our own Pierre Lebrun, who wrote a a piece on this on The Athletic uh, that came out this morning. Go give it a read if you got a chance. Um, He kind of was pushing the commissioner on adding a play-in game series, something, some play-in situation. Uh, in other words, more teams in the playoffs. 
The commissioner threw cold water on it right away, kind of joking, saying you, you, you're trying to create a problem where there isn't one. Are you two for or against more playoff teams, be it play in or whatever situation you want to uh, you want to put it in? Jesse? Against. The playoffs are good. The only thing I'd change is going back to the one versus eight, two versus seven. I like yeah. that format better. I think it um, it's fair. It delays it. De- yeah, it's more fair, and it delays yeah. the big matchups until until the bigger rounds. I don't know. I I I prefer it one versus eight, but to me, if I would argue that if you're gonna go a direction, it would be to have less playoff teams. I know that's never gonna happen because it takes away revenue, and that's what this is all about. But I think half the teams making the playoffs is more than enough. Um, adding more teams to the playoffs. We already have teams making the playoffs that are like not very good. I mean, you look at that bubble yeah. year when they re- had the wild card. The Chicago Blackhawks, like the Golden Knights played the Blackhawks that year. That Blackhawks team was horrendous. And they were in the like, that's what you're going to get when you add more playoff teams. You're just going to get really, really bad hockey teams in the playoffs. And I don't Montreal I don't went that. to the Stanley Cup Finals. I right. think that's the point. Yeah. You know, yeah. there, there's a great point right there. Right next year they were as god awful as you can expect. Um that's what I agree. Like uh, look, I uh everybody knows how much we all respect Pierre, but he's gonna live and die on this hill uh all the time. And um, you know, I I, I will say I just don't get it. Like we're we're crying over like the ninth and tenth best teams in the, in the each conference to try to have a play in and that's that's my big thing is that we all look I think we all look at the playoffs as the first round is always the most entertaining, the best storylines, the most gut-wrenching and and now you're going to have these play-in games, you're going to risk you know ruining the first round because somebody's going to get in that's tired and then I agree with you like to me do we want the 10th best team in a conference to suddenly get on fire and make it to the Stanley Cup final? Like what's the regular season all about? Uh I just don't I just don't agree with it. I think that Right now, there are 32 teams in the National Hockey League. 16 make the playoffs. Um, we have an 82-game regular season for a reason. After 82 games, we know what the best 16 teams are in the league. To now open it up uh, to other teams, you know, what's it really accomplishing? Um, other than maybe, it, it, to me, a, co- a couple owners make a little more money. Coaches might say, all right, my job's safe now because I, quote, made the playoffs. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just don't, uh, I, I don't agree with it. I think that we're fine. I agree with everything you guys said. Everything. <laughs> go, Jesse. If, if we're going to make a change to the playoff, and go, I, rather than going straight one versus eight, this will never happen, but God damn it. Give us a draft. Give yeah. us a draft. I want it so badly. I've been on top that hill team, for a long top, time. Top you finish first overall, you pick who you play in the first yep. round. And then the second, and then the third, and then the fourth gets whoever's left uh, of the eight. It would make so many more storylines. You, you'd have teams... The, imagine the press conference after an upset. Yeah, that's right. They picked, they chose to play us and then we kicked their asses. It would be so great. Uh, I know the NHL won't do it, but please give it to us. We want the draft. Two things I'll say about this. One, the 82 game season and then four rounds of the playoffs is a grind. It's a grind. It's a grind to watch. I couldn't imagine playing. Um, I don't think we need any more. And I understand the attraction to it, not only to have an extra game in revenue, but also just to keep fan bases interested that maybe would be out of the playoff picture. But we already do that with the charity point. (laughs) There are teams in the playoff race that shouldn't be in the playoff race because they're getting those charity points. That's true. In my opinion, leave it alone. Um, Number four, guys, and I know we're probably going to have some opinions on this one. According to Gary Bettman, they held a poll and fans – 
don't mind ads on jerseys and they have no issues with the ads on the boards. Uh, he, Gary Bettman called it a non-issue. Um, we've talked about this, but I, I want to quickly get your opinions because I've always been, I don't mind the ads. I think people got to make money. I don't mind the ads on the jerseys. I don't mind the ads on the boards. But the one thing that's bugged me a little bit is during gameplay when the things are, as the puck's going along the board, suddenly it's changing. It is a little jarring. That's just me. Russo, your thoughts? I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. You don't have to. No, you don't have no, to. Um, no. Um, all right. First thing I'll say is I'd love to know who they pulled. Okay, that I will say. I thought that was all very funny. <laughs> we pulled yesterday. everyone who works for yeah. us and makes yeah, money yeah. for us. Um, I, I, but I, the one thing I will say to the larger point, and this is just my own personal opinion, is that I um, and here's a really good example is which I never get to do, but now uh, we brought uh, an, a, a sidekick here to Minnesota in Joe Smith, and he was just on the Western Canadian trip. It was a four game trip. I started in Dallas, came home, so I watched all three games on TV. That's something that I never ever get to do before. I also watch a ton of games on TV on my off night last night, Washington, uh, Toronto, all this stuff. I don't know what it is, but I've completely adjusted. At first, I was distracted by it. Now, I don't even notice it. And, you know, that was the one thing that Bettman said that I sort of agreed at, with, is that when he made the comment, like, if you look at the the boards, yeah, you're going to be distracted by it. But if you're just watching the game, you're, you're not. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. And that's how I feel. Like, I don't even notice it anymore. Maybe just on the Bally Sports North telecast. I don't know if it, they just have the better you know, the, the, where they've changed it up where it's not moving and all that type of stuff. It does seem to be stationary, at least on this, but I've watched other games as well. And I just, my eyes seem to just focus on what's going on in the rink and I don't even know the, notice the ad. So um, that that's just me. Um, I, I am obviously that is a, just a personal thing that it just doesn't bother me. Um, but I know a lot of fans are constantly complaining about it. So that that's my only other point is I do would love to know who the heck they polled. Where was this poll? Can we see the results? Um, you know, we're, you know, I, I just uh, that one I thought was funny. Yeah, I, I think I agree with most fans that I see on Twitter complaining about this in that I don't think many people have problems with the, the boards when they're stationary. Um, it's when like I'm watching a Golden Knights game and there's a yeah. truck driving around the <laughs> yeah. boards and I'm like, what in the hell yeah. are we doing? You guys yeah. like this is and and the problem with it is they're trying to sell this ad space and these advertisers are in their mind. We've got to make our ads stand out as much right. as possible. So while Gary says it's not distracting, the people who are paying to have their ad on there are actively doing the opposite. They are trying to make to it be as distracting yeah. as humanly possible. That's their yeah. entire purpose. They have teams of people who sit around in an office all day trying to figure out how to make it as distracting as they possibly can <laughs> because their job is to draw eyes to it. Um, so it's never going to not be distracting, especially if you allow it to move. If you don't allow it to move, okay. But if you allow it to move, these ad companies are going to make it a distraction because that's their job. Um, and then in terms of the Jersey ad, I agree. You don't even notice it during the broadcast. The only problem I have, and I realize this is a slippery slope fallacy, but please don't let it end up like European soccer where we've the got logo logos, is actually, the logo. Yeah. yeah like, like I, I tried to get into Premier League soccer one year and I was like, all right, Manchester United, they're the team I'm going to go with because they used to be good and they're not anymore. I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. Let me buy a jersey. 
I go online and it's just a goddamn Chevy logo on their jersey. I'm like, never mind. Not for me. I'm not, I would never, you couldn't pay me to wear this crap. Um, I'm not saying hockey jerseys are going there, but once you start putting logos on or ads on the jerseys, you look at like Russian hockey and it's like their, their jersey looks like a NASCAR with just ads plastered all over it. Um, as long as it stays where it is, I'm totally okay yeah. with the, with the, with the Jersey ads, just one ad on the shoulder. It's fine. You don't even notice it unless you're looking for it. Um, as long as it stays there, I'm okay with it. I agree. Yeah. And I'm with you on the, 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 the truck and our producer, Jeff Domet just texted me as he's listening. He says, yes, that damn truck. It's true. <laughs> Every whistle change the boards for all I care. I don't. I don't care. That's not the distracting part. It's when gameplay is on the go. Last thing yeah. from the board of governor meeting, guys. Uh, World Cup of Hockey still up in the air, as we know they had to postpone it because of the landscape of the world and what's going on with Russia. Uh, and it looks like they're waiting for the International Olympic Committee to make a decision on the next Olympics as to whether or not to allow Russia to compete. Um, I. <sighs> I don't even know where to go with this because if Russia, if the IOC says, yeah, Russia's in, are they immediately turning around and saying, okay, let's schedule the next World Cup of Hockey? Is, is it just what the IOC wants to do or is this a situation where the league should kind of just do what, what they think is right in this situation? Russo. Yeah, I think it's a it's it's a bit awkward, obviously, because of so many one Russian players in the National Hockey League, but so many uh, incredible Russian players in the National Hockey League. And you don't want to have a World Cup that doesn't include the Ovechkins and the Kaprizovs of the world. Um, and and we just talked about Ovechkin's age earlier on this segment, and too, it's like you know, the longer we wait, are we going to get to see him in another World Cup? But I I I do think that the league needs to be independent and make the proper decision from their stump standpoint. Um, on this on this topic, um, you know, I, I don't think if the IOC just lets them in that the league should just say, "All right, we're doing a World Cup." I think they've got to assess what's going on with the geopolitical uh, situation over there with the Russia with Russia and Ukraine, and and decide on their own. Um, you know, make their own decisions, and I think the league will. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a bit of when the pandemic first started and it just felt like the NHL was just copying whatever the NBA did. Like it was like, they were just kind of sitting there and it's like the NBA does this. Okay. We'll do it too. Uh, the NBA suspends their league. Okay. We'll suspend our league. The NBA is coming back. All right. We're coming back. I would rather they make their own decisions also. Um, and not just follow the leader, um, on this. Uh, I think this is obviously very different because back then we, it was just, like even the scientists had no idea what was going on. Like the whole world was trying to figure out what was happening. I think this is a little different and they have more information and the ability to make their own decisions. So I agree with Michael. I think they will. I could talk about, I could talk about the NHL's reaction to the pandemic for like hours, by the way. I just, <laughs> yeah, I that's a whole show. Russo. Oh my God. Just one thing that I just want to rip on, but my favorite thing is right <laughs> before the, the game before the pandemic uh, interrupted the season. So that what was it Tuesday or Wednesday? We're in Anaheim and the night before the wild were in LA and two nights before we were in San Jose and we were the first team. Uh, Minnesota was the first team where the Santa Clara health department came out and said, they need to cancel this game tonight, San Jose. And I remember I emailed somebody from the league. I said, any chance you guys cancel? And he wrote back in a second. No. Okay. Two days later, we're not allowed in locker rooms anymore. We were allowed to get players in the hallway. Staples Center is, or Crypto.com now is a big hallway. It was no big deal. We're at Anaheim the next night. And I just think this is hilarious. 
not allowed in the locker room because us media people could infect these players. So they made us after this game, Fiala scored the the winning goal in overtime. They made us after the the game, Jesse, you've been there, the the tight oh, yeah. Carter there Tiny. in Anaheim. We're like, there was like, you know, like people with mops and, and equipment people going right by us, like squeezing us against the wall. I could not have been closer to Kevin Fiala as I was interviewing him. Like I was basically lip to lip interviewing him. That's how close <laughs> we were. Okay. We weren't allowed in the locker room but because the league said that we weren't allowed because it was unsafe. So get us in a tight crammed hallway with like hundreds of people right around us pressed up against these players. It was like everything that was happening. It was just so nonsensical. And anyway, two days later, the freaking league is put on hold. I also did a straight from the source podcast that Jeff Demet can attest to from Anaheim, where I said there's no chance the NHL interrupts the season. And I still <laughs> to this day want Jeff Demet to spike that from our system. You know what we got to do in the new year? Just just l- turn on Russo's mic, say, what do you yeah. think about how the NHL handled the pandemic? And then Jesse and I can like go grab a coffee or whatever and just let him go nuts. Two oh more things God. before we go to break, guys. So I want your opinions on these uh we're going to start with Gary Bettman. 30 years ago at these exact Board of Governor meetings in this exact you know location, he was voted in as commissioner. Can you believe it's been 30 years? It's crazy. A couple work stoppages, Hall of Fame career. <laughs> he's in the Hall of Fame for what he's done as commissioner. When you think Gary Bettman in the last 30 years, what pops in your head? Jesse, we'll start with you. Well, I can believe it's been 30 years because I was two when he was made oh commissioner. So. I don't know what an NHL is like without Gary Bettman being the commissioner. I have absolutely no, like there's for me, the NA, Gary Bettman is the NHL commissioner. There's never been another one. He's the guy. So I, that's what I think of is he is the NHL commissioner. I don't even know what another one's like. There is, there's never been another NHL commissioner. He's the first commissioner. They were president. Yeah, that's true. Before oh, okay, Gary okay. Bettman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, same thing. I mean, I've only known the NHL with him as the commissioner. I started covering the league in 95, and he was there, and he was a young Gary Bettman. I'm amazed at how well he's aged. He looks basically the same, um, you know, uh, and uh, but I, I look, you know, I, I understand that he gets a lot of hate, obviously, because of the work stoppages and sometimes his maybe his demeanor when he talks to us, uh, you know, uh, and to the fans and things like that. He's just got this this kind of you know, smugness to him and all that stuff. Um, when I'm around him, um, you know, he's a very cordial, nice person. I also covered the league in the nineties and the early two thousands. And I think this league is so much better than what it used to be. Um, it's not even funny. And I do think that all of us that love the league and love the entertainment of this league, um, do have him to, to thank for that. I mean, you know, look, obviously there's many, many people that make this league a great league and he, it's not like he sat there and, and makes the product on the ice as good as it is. But, um, but I covered that, you know, there were times in the nineties where there were a lot of unsuccessful franchises. It was a plotting league, a slow league, a clutching grab league. And I think a lot of the stewards of this league, including the commissioner has made it, um, as entertaining as it is today. So, um, you know, I'm one of those people that don't get as up in arms with, with, Commissioner Bettman is a lot of fans do and a lot of people in the media do because I covered this league back then. And it, it really, to me, it was by far the fourth best league in the league in the in the world. And now, like, you know, I don't look at it as a second tier league anymore at all. Quick Gary Bettman story. A few days ago, I'm doing a feature for CBC Sports on the very short expansion of the Canadian Football League into the United States. So I interviewed Bruce McNall, who, of course, was the former owner of the L.A. Kings, brought Wayne Gretzky to L.A., and I was asking him just his biggest memories of that 
that small three-year period where they decided to expand in the States, he said, well, I was going to Portland to talk to some potential owners to move a team to Portland. And that's where I first met Gary Bettman to try to convince him to become the commissioner of the National Hockey League. So without CFL expansion of the States, maybe Gary Bettman's not the commissioner of the NHL, but he said, yeah, he actually was trying to get David Stern to come over and be the commissioner. And Stern said, I ain't leaving, but there's this guy, Gary, who might be good for the job. And here we are 30 years later talking about his Hall of Fame career. And last thing before we go, guys, the NBA made some news this week. They're changing the names of a bunch of their trophies. The big one, of course, the MVP will now be the Michael Jordan trophy. So I think everybody in their, you know, respective sports are saying, well, what if my, you know, favorite sport did this? Sean Gentilly and Haley Salvian did it on the site at the Athletic. So I want you to fill in the blank. If I could change the name of one trophy, I would change the blank to the blank. Who wants to go first? I see Bruce was scratching his chin. So he's like, he's thinking. So maybe I'll let Jesse go first. Yeah. Um, easy one for me. I'd change the Vezina to the Hashik. Um, I feel like while George Vezina is, is a big deal, I think most hockey fans, when they think goalie, they think Dominic Hashik. Um, I guess you could have maybe argue Brodeur or Wah, but for me, Hashik is the guy. He's the best ever. And um, I think he also like embodies, like, I don't know, he was just a crazy man who like flopped all over. I don't know. He To me, he is goaltending. Um, I'd go Vezina, uh, change it to the Hashik. Plus, it just sounds good, the Hashik. Yeah. And I'd probably change the Art Ross to the Gretzky. Um, you know, I mean, the guy that what he won the trophy 10 or 10 12 times. times. Yeah. I mean, times, yeah. you know, and until Jeff Merrick <laughs> tweeted it yesterday, and I feel bad for saying this as a hockey writer for now in my 28th season, I had no clue that Art Ross had like one point in the NHL or two points or three. <laughs> so like, like I had no clue. Um, so that, that just shows you. Um, um, I love the, I think the Richard trophy is perfectly named, although I'd call it the Pavel Bure trophy. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, you know, I, I think the Art Ross is the one that, like, to me, Gretzky's name it should be on a trophy. Uh, he is the great one, the greatest one. He's going to be number one on our NHL 99 project. It's the reason why we called it that. Um, I just think that, uh, that, that that's the one that should probably be changed. What about Patrice Bergeron as the Selkie? No, hold on. Like that's my, the one my picks the Selkie. So let me, let me make my case oh, for okay. the Selkie. And and I know it's crazy because I am I love offense. I love seeing goals. I love it. So it's probably a bit shocking. Any of my friends are like, I can't believe Rob's doing the Sel- Selkie. They made the award basically to give Bob Gainey something because of what he was doing. Right. They said, this guy is the best defensive forward in the league and there's no he's not getting the recognition. He wins the first four Selkie trophies. If they make an award because of you, how the hell is it not named after you? I'm changing the Selkie to the Bob Gainey. I mean, Bergeron certainly has a case. Datsuk has a case. But if, if they're like, this guy is so good at what he does, we need to manufacture a trophy. You got to name it after Bob. If they ever do this, I do think that they, I mean, don't you think Gretzky gets the art Ross? Probably Ovi gets the Richard. Um, I think know, Gretzky I, might get the heart. Gretzky might get the MVP. Yeah. You know, I wrote heart. I wrote heart for Gretzky. Yeah, if, yeah. They, if they were. I mean, that's what they did in basketball. They turned the MVP to Jordan, and Hart's yeah. the MVP. So yeah, makes sense. Interesting to see, but um, yeah, everybody's been arguing about this, and I've heard wah a lot for the, the con smite too. So I don't think I don't I think like it's that. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But if they wear they do do it, guys, listen to this podcast. We just gave our opinions. Uh, somebody who has a lot of opinions, John Shannon. He's now an author. He can add that to his very long resume. He's going to be joining us after the break. So don't go anywhere. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, boys. So every time we get a book and we're going to talk to the author about the book, I always do the same thing. I cut out a piece of cardboard. I use it as my bookmark. And then I write little things that, you know, come out as I'm reading the book. And as I'm reading John Shannon's new book, Evolve or Die, I started highlighting just the crazy things that I was actually writing down. I've never written anything like this. So allow me to do this as John's waiting to come on. Uh, Number one, Shannon makes the prime minister crawl on the floor. Number two, Shannon tells Glenn Sather to fuck off. Number three, Shannon tells Mike Palmatier to fuck off. Uh, number four, Shannon has <laughs> drinks with Batman. And my favorite, number five, and Shannon- And told him to fuck off, and tell, No, he didn't tell him to fuck off. Number five, Shannon interviews a naked John Davidson in the shower. If you mm-hmm. heard all that and you don't want to read this book, I don't know what else to tell you. John Shannon joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. How are you, John? I am well, boys. It's great to be with friends. Yes, it is to talk about things like showering with John Davidson and uh, doing interviews. Not that Uh, there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) But I've been in some weird interview situations and it's usually not like that. But uh, we're going to get into the book and and I want to know all about it because I finished it uh, last night. Really, really enjoyed it. What made you want to write? What made you rather write the book? And also as a side question, you know, your job has been very technical and there's a lot of quote-unquote, inside baseball that comes to your job. How difficult was it kind of making it, you know, interesting while still making it, you know, attractive to maybe people who aren't in the broadcasting world, which I think you did really well? Uh, well, it, I'll, I'll answer the, the the second one first. Uh, I think one of my strengths has always been as a producer is that I thought as a viewer. Um, I never played the game. I can't speak about, you know, strategy. Uh, so I always thought about what I wanted to watch on television. Uh, and I, and in many ways, I took the same approach with this book that I had to be able to explain it in a manner that a person who wasn't involved in television or wasn't really involved in hockey would understand it. I think that's been my strength all along. And I, uh, and, and by the way, the editor pushed back four or five times saying, what do you mean by this? And then I, then I realized I, I caught myself that that was going to be a problem, that that was going to be something I needed to get delve into and, and explain why the con- what context created scenarios in television and, and being on the air. So I, I think I had that approach in the beginning. The, the, the first question is I didn't want to write the book. Uh, and and it, it, took, it took Simon & Schuster five years to convince me to write the book. Because I didn't think I was ready to write the book. I didn't think that I understood 
that I had enough stuff to write a book about. It, I, I probably have more now. That doesn't mean I want to write another book, by the way. I'm not like Rousseau, who loves writing. Uh, writing, writing is work to me. Um, so the answer is, if they finally convinced me after five years to be able to tell some stories. And I, and I actually read a book, um, uh, just before I started, and that inspired me. And that was Bob Iger's book. Bob Iger is back now being the CEO of Disney. Uh, and he, after on his way out the first time, he wrote a book and half of it was about his life in the business. And the other half was about leadership and about how he had to change the Disney corporation. And so I kind of took that approach to the book about uh, there's a few leadership stories. There's a few stories about relationships as Iger wrote about. And there was, and then there was, I think a lot, what most people wanted to talk about is what the heck is hockey night in Canada? What does it stand for? What is neat about it? And why did you think it was so special? And I think that, you know, that was the, the Iger book meant a lot to me because I thought I, I, I had much more clarity about how to write a book after I read his. I, I think Dave Hodge's uh, quote on the front of the book is, is really perfect. You know, it, it says, and I thought the, an and the announcers, not the producers, had the interesting jobs in sports TV. John offers fascinating evidence to the contrary. And it is so true about this book, John. And, you know, one of the things that has always fascinated me about your career is that you've been in television your entire life. You worked for the league um, in, a, in an executive role. How did you transition from going from behind the camera to all of a sudden being one of the great insiders in the sport for years on, on Sportsnet, uh, working next to the great Doug McLean, who has to be <laughs> bummed that he's only mentioned five times in the book, by the way. Um, and Rimmer, by the way, is not mentioned once, which I'm sure he's uh, upset about. No, but, but, um, and, and, he, and he didn't even get a free book, which even pisses him I off know. more. So. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. But how, how did you make that transition? Like, how did you become, how did you have enough contacts to go from behind the camera as this incredible producer that's won Emmys to in front of the camera, breaking news and offering analysis on Sportsnet? Uh, well, I wanted, to, I wanted to work in the industry. I wanted it mm -hmm. bad enough. Uh, I, I didn't want a real job. In many ways, Mike, I, I started as a TV guy and I'm going to finish as a hockey guy. Um, and, but this was, this was just pure focus on saying that I believe that I can contribute and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep knocking on doors until people tell me that I can't anymore. Um, and you know, that's where, that's where the title of the book comes from. You know, you have to change all the time. You constantly change. My father was a school teacher for 47 years. Same job for 47 years. He would be apoplectic that I've had nine jobs in 47 years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I, one way or the other, if I'm sitting talking hockey or talking broadcasting, I feel fulfilled. And I've been lucky enough since 1976 or 77 to be able to do that. Uh, and if somebody said, well, you can't do it anymore, I would find a way somehow to do it some other place. I, I, there, I don't want to steal parts of the, of the book, but I tell the story about I, my career really, really parallels my golf game. 
because I'm not a very good golfer and I go and hit the ball and it goes under a tree and I actually think I can hit it under the tree onto the green. And that's what I've always thought about my career because I can get myself in trouble and I'll just get myself out and go back and start again. And that's, and it's not confidence. It's just, to me, it's just common sense, you know, because I think I have something to offer and I think I can do it in a manner, whether it's behind the scenes or on mic or on camera, that people will go, wow, that's kind of cool. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe in the wow factor of our business. Mike kind of mentioned it on on that quote on the front. I really loved that too. And I think that, I think a lot of people probably know you as on the screen, um, just because the the behind the scenes people don't get quite as much uh, glamour, I guess. But it seems like based off the stories and a lot of the things <laughs> that uh, Rob mentioned, a lot of the exciting stuff happens for the people behind the scenes. Was it exciting for you to, to kind of let people know, like, w- like I, was there a part of you that wanted... Uh, the readers and the people out there to to see how how cool of a job it is to be behind the scenes as well. When I was the executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, it was the most powerful television job in our country. The influence you had, the contacts you made, um, you changed. And I don't mean I don't want to be overly dramatic, but you changed people's lives. You affected them every Saturday night. There's nothing greater. Um, you know, those four little words, hockey night in Canada, still make the hair stand up on the back of my head. It is, it is the coolest thing ever. You know, I, you know, my first job was to, it was for 10 bucks and a, and a, and a light blue jacket. Man, oh man, there was nothing better. There was nothing better than that. 20 years old, walking around Maple Leaf Gardens like I owned the place. Uh, there was it was just it's magical and then to be able to over the years do stanley cups uh, in both countries um work for the league running hockey night changing how people watch the game i mean that was fun you know it, 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 it in many ways it was much more satisfying to be the puppet master than it was to be the puppet because uh, behind the scenes the, and, and it, Rob knows me well, uh, and it was very kind of you to think that I was behind the scenes. I got taught by a guy named Ralph Mellenby. Um, and Ralph Mellenby was the greatest executive producer in the history of Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Ralph did nothing behind the scenes. <laughs> Ralph was always front and center, and I learned from that. So when, when I ran Hockey Night, there was a little bit of bravado for me in all the stuff that the announcers did, that the games did. and. That was, again, part of the swagger that you had when you were part of Hockey Night in Canada. And, and that's what I wanted to ask you about, John, because if you go from page one all the way to page 250 of this book, Hockey Night in Canada is intertwined in there. And I, I could tell in both of your times, even when you returned to Hockey Night, even when you wanted to make changes, even when you wanted to, as you mentioned the title of the book, Evolve or Die, there's such a respect for that institution. And it was the part of the book that I related to the most. You can see I've got a Hockey Night Canada towel here. I've got a jersey frame. Hockey Night Canada is in my blood. And the first time I got to work there was the most nervous time of my life, but I was so happy. Just how is it in your blood too? Is that is that kind of what you wanted to put out in the book? Oh, for sure, Rob. Um, like it's it's my it's part of my family. 
the people that I met are part of my family. Um, it drives my wife crazy. You know, I, I you know, I, I was, I didn't meet her until I was 10 years into my television and hockey career. So there are 10 years of stories that she wasn't part of. And she says, well, you know, well, yeah, but you're, you're married now. And I said, yeah, I know, but things happened in 1981 and 82 and 83. Um, you know, that it, it was, you know, I, I, I joke about it that I was born in an analog world and I live in a digital one. Um, and it, what Hockey Night stood for in so many ways, uh, not just on television, but on radio on the old, in the old CBC days when we did Sunday night games. Um, it, 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 it was so special. And there was a belief that the, there was a belief in the brotherhood. You know, Dave Hodge, who was kind enough to say those words, is still one of my best friends. Steve Armitage, who uh, was just put into the CBC Sports Hall of Fame, is one of my best friends. Uh, there isn't a person at Hockey Night in Canada that I can't have a connection with uh, over the last 45 years that that there, there's there's the brotherhood, there's the bond, um, and it's television and it's hockey, uh, and it's so much of what our country stands for. Talking about intertwined, you mentioned Ralph Mellenby, and I, I wanted to ask you about him because, you know, the first father-son story that I ever wrote in my life was about Ralph and Scott Mellenby. I remember sitting down with Ralph um, in, I believe, Montreal um, for this story when I covered Scott. And, um, you know, he always fascinated me because here you have this, you know, really, really good power forward in the National Hockey League and his dad, um, who is very media friendly, uh, Scott Mellenby. Yes. And I always thought that was one big reason was because of his dad. You know, his dad, his dad was the producer for Hockey Night Canada forever. He, I mean, there's so many innovations that we still see on TV today was in Ralph's head. Tell He's intertwined throughout your book. Um, tell us uh, some Ralph Mellenby stories and what made him so special and why he was so in, in, instrumental to your career. Uh, well, Ralph had balls. And, and y y you have to have balls in order to be the executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada. Um, and Ralph knew the game and, and the one thing that differentiated Ralph from any other producer that I worked with was Ralph's knowledge of hockey was as solid as his knowledge of television. Uh, and for too often, uh, particularly in the early days, people didn't really understand the game of hockey, didn't understand how to cover the game of hockey. They just put the cameras and pointed them to the ice and you know, never explained how long the replays were and why the close-ups existed. But Ralph could do that. Ralph could tell you why things happened. Uh, that's, I think, something that I learned from him. That I, I always explain to people, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And so Ralph really became the how and why guy for me. Uh, and and he, always, he, he always challenged you to use your imagination. Think outside the box, you know, and... And that's where Ralph's great genius became, um, was thinking outside the box. I mean, the first game we ever did in Calgary, um, we put, we, we put Danny Gallivan on a, on a white stallion outside the corral. I mean, who would think of putting Al Michaels on a, on a, with a cowboy hat outside of a football stadium? But, Gall but Mellenby put Danny Gallivan on a horse outside the Stampede Corral as Hockey Night in Canada rode in to the Stampede City. Um, there was nothing 
was impossible to Ralph Mellenby, and that's what I loved about him. And he he challenged you to think all the time. Um, I, I traveled a lot with Ralph over the years, and and the discussions we would have, and he would he would tell me stories about his days with sitting and working with Rune Arledge at, at the Olympics for ABC, and he would try to bring some of that stuff home. And we tried to Canadianize things, and and that's what really what Ralph was all about. Um, Ralph had a huge ego. Make no mistake about it. Ralph would tell you he's the best best producer, and he wasn't wrong. So having the ego, he could get away with it. Uh, you, you, Mike, you talk about Scott. Um, so Scott and Laura, his his sister. Uh, I started producing games in late '78 and '79, and we, you know Scott and Laura were, came in, and they were nine and ten years old. They would come into the gardens in Toronto or wherever we were, and and they'd sit in the seats. And we we I've known Scott since he was nine years old. Um, in fact, I rented my he he played on a midget team, the Don Mills Flyers, and I rented my house out to Scott and Janet uh, and the kids uh, over a Christmas because they played in the Max Midget Tournament in Calgary, and Scott was there with the Don Mills Flyers. So I, my affinity, my my affection for the Mellombies, the Mellomby family, Laura and Scott are still both great friends of mine. Uh, is and a, and a loyalty. That's the other thing that Ralph taught was loyalty. I pissed Ralph off a ton of times. I pissed him off all the time. And behind closed doors, Ralph would yell at me. And I deserved it. I, I deserved being yelled at. Why did you do this? You didn't ask permission. What are you thinking here? Uh, but the moment we walked out of that room together and somebody criticized me, Mellonby would be the first one to stand up and say, don't you pick on one of my guys. He's one of us. That's what made Mellonby great. Yeah. Hey, John, spe speaking of outside the box, we were just talking on the first segment about the uh, digital ads that are going around the league. Um, what would, what's your impression of them and what would be your reaction if before the season, if you were producing Hockey Night in Canada, the league came to you and said, hey, by the way, this is what we're going to be doing? <laughs> uh, well, I've told the commissioner this, so I'm not telling school, uh, uh, the school, 95% of it's okay. But they've got to work on the last 5%. Like, I don't want to see Alex Petrangelo skating around the net and then racing with a Kia or a Hyundai <laughs> up the board. I don't want to see that. Uh, that's that's a problem for me. Yeah. Um, you just lost your uh, potential endorsement with Kia and Hyundai, by the way. <laughs> I know. And I, I want one of those. I want one of those I, uh, Hyundai, uh, those, <laughs> those, those cars, those new uh, electric cars. They look pretty good. Um, the, the, uh, and the other thing is, I think they have to work on the visual transition as the boards change. I don't mind that the boards change all the time, but they have to find a way to be much more subtle on how the boards change. The concept is fantastic. You know, I've, you know, with all the jobs I've had, I've worked for the league, I've worked for teams. And if we could find a way to put, you know, our local rink boards in 82 games, that's magical. That's a revenue, that's a revenue winner. You know, when we talk about revenues in the NHL growing between sports betting and the digital boards, those are the two of the and and the and the 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 logo, the patch on your sweater. Those are the three things that are driving revenue right now to a point where we might see more of a cap increase. I'm not, you know, Gary says only a million now. I don't believe him. I think it'll be more by the by the time summer comes, but. 
Those are revenue drivers, but they need to work on the subtlety of it. The one thing at Hockey Night we were always concerned about was distracting from the puck, just creating extra movement. Don't put too many, you know, moving graphics on the screen while the puck is in play because you're taking it away from the viewer's chance to see the puck because we don't all see the puck all the time. What we do see is the flow of the game. We don't see the puck. And so I, I do think that they're going to work on it. I hope they're working on it. But in but 95%, I'm kind of with it. It's the 5% we need to tweak. John, I think when the general hockey fan watches a former coach or player as an analyst, they don't know what goes into it. They don't know how much someone like yourself can be behind them. And that was one part of the book that I found really uh, fascinating. I was kind of glad it got out that way. Some some former players become great analysts very quickly. Kelly Rudy is a great example of this. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but you go in depth about Bobby Hall being an analyst and, and some of the things you liked and didn't like there. Uh, would people be surprised to find out just how much there's a man behind that guy? They're so used to with it, seeing with a stick, but now seeing with a microphone. Well, and the, the challenge, Rob, is it becomes more difficult the farther away from your career you get. Because there's lots of players right now that think, oh, I, I'm going to be a broadcaster. Um, and they can talk about firsthand experience of playing against Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl or Austin Matthews or Artemi Panarin. Um, but five years from now, they're not going to be able to talk about more than two guys in the league because the turnover is so heavy. That's the challenge. You can, you can measure in certain situations. One year in, you can say, okay, this guy's got a good cadence. He's got a nice voice. You know, he still has the attitude of he wants to go to the rink. He doesn't mind, he doesn't mind being on the dark side, as we used to joke about it, being in broadcasting, because the players think we're the dark side. Um, but he won't go in the room. Well, why won't you go in the room? Well, that's their world. No, no, no. Hey, listen, if you're going to be part of our business, you got to go in the room. You got to be able to sit down beside a player who, who you might have fought with or you might have had contact with and talk to him about some stories. Oh, I don't want to do that. Well, then you know what? This guy's not a, he's not a lifer. He doesn't believe in the business. He's just trying to, he thinks it's easy because you just go on and talk. And you see tons of those guys. You see tons of them everywhere. It's that four to five year generation of a player that is challenged to say, listen, I can make a real career out of this. I can do something really, really good with my life that maybe I didn't do as well as when I was playing for 10 years in the NHL that I took for granted when I was a player. And you can see those guys a mile away. You know, I, you know, you know, my, my best friend in the business is John Davidson. Um, you knew from the first time he was in the booth. He cared and wanted to be in this business and and worked at it and worked got to the point, Rob, where he was so good at his job on the air, teams were phoning him at home on the off nights to get scouting reports on the opposition or on a player. Should we trade for him? He became an influential person in the game because of his institutional knowledge on a daily basis. Nick Kiprios who I didn't think had any chance to be a broadcaster, worked his ass off and became a quality broadcaster uh, and understood what it took to work as hard as anyone 
in the business for a long period of time. And that's the measure of people. You know, Eddie Olchek's the same way. You know, it, it's funny. I, I, I used to laugh. <laughs> used to laugh. Dale Talon, who I've known since he was a player, Dale used to drive me nuts. I uh, worked with Dale a few times, but worked alongside Dale for many times. And Dale would walk into the rink with no notes, with nothing. Barry even had a program with the numbers on it and got his way through. And because he, but his philosophy was that he wanted to use his eyeballs um, to judge players, which proved to be his real strength is he was a good player personnel guy, a good scout. Wasn't a good broadcaster, but he had a really good eye for talent on the ice. And that's why he became a general manager in the National Hockey League. You know, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Olchek worked at it and, and talks to people and networks with people. It's a 24 7, 365 job. I don't have to tell you three guys. When you do this business, you're always on your phone. The phone is always ringing. You're always getting an email. And you have to be prepared to ask a question, you know, and you have to have the ability to say, I don't really know this person, but I'm going to phone them and I'm going to ask them a question. But maybe by the end of the week, we're going to be friends. And then then there's going to be a dialogue. And it doesn't matter whether it's an owner or the assistant trainer. Something's going to come out of it and you're going to be able to tell a story. And that's what that's what this side of the business is all about. JD still to this day, I think is one of the best color guys ever. He was just absolutely awesome. Do you mention uh guys transitioning? Doug McLean's another one. Like he went behind the mic and became as honest as anybody ever uh, that was an analysis. Uh, John, before before you answer that, I, d- I did want to just throw you one thing. Um, tell us about your app, your your new life here is uh, teaching the next generation uh, of uh, sports media people. Well, I do. Uh, I, I teach uh, television production at a, at a small two-year college called the College of Sports Speed in Toronto. I do it, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I do it two days a week, and we basically start at ground zero um, about how to tell a story, um, how to create pictures, how to do research, how to justify it, the fine line between information and opinion, uh, and, uh, I'm sure that by the end of the year, I, I get them for, I get the kids for nine months. I'm in, I'm the, in the second year of the program. They get, they get stuck with me for two days, eight hour sessions. And I'm sure half of them, I'm sure half of them think I'm the world's ugliest person because I'm as passionate about teaching as I am about broadcasting. Cause I want, I want the business to be better. I want the business to be good. And I, I don't want, I want people to go and get jobs to be qual, that are qualified and that can ask the next question. Cause in our business, it's, it's a proactive business. For every action on the ice, there's two reactions. And if you understand that, for everything that happens to one team, how does it affect the other team? If you understand that, then you can tell a story. And you can analyze. I, you know, I, and and I try to tell people: don't over talk to your audience. Don't. I mean, my my favorite line is: if I hear another announcer say "f one in deep," I'm going to puke, because you know. Or 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 here's my favorite one. And I, my friend Cherry used to do this for all you young kids out there who play the game. Well, there aren't that many. <laughs> you know, if he has two and a half million people watching on that Saturday night. There's like 150,000 who played. So we're going to talk to 150,000, not to 2.5 million. 
we got to talk to the audience. We got to talk to the to to the larger group who want to learn about it and want to be able to say, "Wow, I didn't know that." And that's what I'm trying to convince the kids of on a you know, a weekly basis for eight or nine months a year. It's funny, Russo, that you asked him about teaching. I worked with John for a season on Hockey Central Saturdays, which was basically red zone for hockey on Saturday nights, five hours every Saturday night we were on the air together. And this man never stops teaching. Every single commercial break, John had something to say, hey, let's do this. Let's do it that way. And I tried soaking up every single thing you could give me, John, because I started this interview by saying you told two people to fuck off. You told me to fuck off once. And that was because when you said your first Stanley Cup final was 1980, I said, that was the year I was born. And you said, fuck off, yeah. Pizzo. Uh, <laughs> but I still tried soaking up everything you did. The book is Evolve or Die, Hard Won Lessons um, from a Hockey Life. John Shannon, who was behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, and now could add author to the resume. John, thanks so much. Guys, it was a real pleasure. And by the way, I'm a subscriber. <laughs> Thank you. Good to hear. John Shannon, uh, go pick up the book in time for Christmas. After the break, rapid fire, so don't go anywhere. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, boys, our favorite time of the show and yours, Rapid Fire. We're going to start with Bo Horvat, who basically said he's done talking, released a statement saying he's going to focus on the team and winning in Vancouver. Uh, of course, you know, there's the speculation that he turned down that extension. He's going to be a UFA after this season. Is he going to be traded? Is he going to test the free agency market? We don't know, but we got to stop asking him because he's not going to talk about it. Jesse, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I understand why, um, but at the same time, like this is, I mean, it's hockey. This is a business. Everyone's here. The the for, sports fans like sports because of the drama around it. It's not just the skill on the ice. Like a lot of it is that, but it's also the storyline of the year. And when you've got a player who's scoring 20 goals, who's as good as Bo Horvat is, and he's in the final year of his contract, people are going to ask. So, um, it kind of reminds me of uh, when Pete DeBoer, uh, when it was Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard in net at the beginning of the year, he was like, all right, 
I'm not going to announce who the starting goalie is ever this year, so don't ask me. And we all kind of looked around in the room like, no, we're still going to ask him. Like He's like, he's, he's not going to tell us, but we're still going to ask him. So I expect Bo Horvat to get at least one more question about this by the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. So that's, by the way, Jesse, like Randy Carlisle, he used to get angry if you asked him who was starting the goalie. So we all as Raiders, we would like try to make him angry. Hey, who's starting tonight? <laughs> um yeah, I, you know, I don't think the timing was at all, um, you know, shocking just because one, the reports out that he that he, uh, you know, apparently rejected this extension, which is definitely true. Um, but also they have so many games coming up against Canadian teams, you know, Calgary. They've got like three games against Winnipeg in the next couple of weeks as well. So, you know, he's Edmonton media. So he knows he's going to just get flooded with these questions everywhere he goes, whether it's home or away. So I think he just wanted to get it out there and, and all that stuff. Look, he's he's going to be traded. Um, they're now, uh, I'm sure, getting inundated with calls. This is going to be they are they they should get a haul for him. Um, yeah. You know, there is uh, this is not just to me your normal pending UFA rental one. You could get a jump on it. We all know that Jim Rutherford likes to make moves early, um, even though he's technically not the GM. You know, but him and Patrick Alvin seem to work in concert together. Um, but I, I just think that um, you know you have a, a guy that's in just not even thirty yet. You know, in his 20s, he's an absolute true number one center. Um, he's going to go somewhere and elevate whatever team, whether he re-signs them or not. And that's going to be the interesting thing is that, you know, is the team that's willing to give up a haul somebody that thinks that they could re-sign him? Or is it somebody that just is going to think they're going to need him to go on a, on a long playoff run? And we've just mentioned the cap situation, but what he's going to want in the free agency, there's not a lot of teams that right now could probably extend him. Um, but I, I just think that it's just a matter of time now uh, where Bo Horvat is going to be traded. And we got our uh, trade board coming out tomorrow at The Athletic, and I, I think you'll see Bo Horvat's name right at the tippy top. What a Cy Young year he's having, too. 20 goals, 9 assists. Like, just get get to that double digits that it doesn't look as bad. Uh, topic number two, guys. We use the term beast way too often in sports, myself included but I'm going to use it again because Tage Thompson is an absolute beast. 21 goals, 41 points through the first 28 games of the season. Two more last night. We're talking about a guy who already has a six-point game, already has a five-goal game, and he just pops on your TV screen, and that probably has a lot to do with the fact that he's 6'6", but I feel like everything's finally come together after last year's kind of, you know, coming out party. This is this is the year of Tage Thompson, in my opinion. Agree, and and, and we're uh, on one of the athletic hockey shows next week. We might have a little podcast with him and I. I'm actually going to Arizona on Saturday, and I'm going to be sitting down with him uh, after their morning skate. Um, I agree with you. I think I mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago that I watched the game in Montreal a, a couple of years ago and Tage, a couple of weeks ago, and Tage looked like he could have had 20 goals that game. Every single shift he dominated. It was like men against boys. I it 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 is. I mean, he's so big. He skates so well. And I remember when they gave him that big contract, when Kevin Adams gave him the big contract, I was thinking to myself, what the heck? And I think Sabres fans were too, because, uh, you know, we've asked, uh, like, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter, like, what do you think of Tage Thompson um, a couple years ago? And I think Sabres fans all thought that he was going to be a bust. And now this is one of those rare trades in NHL history where it was perfect for both teams, right? I mean, Tage goes to Buffalo and it is giving them a potential star or it's not even potential. He's there right now. And uh, Ryan O'Reilly goes to St. Louis and helps them win a cup. It's a pretty good trade for both teams. I think both teams should be, both GMs should be happy themselves, or at least the former GM in Buffalo, Botterill. Tage is awesome. He's just, you, you guys both mentioned it. His size and his hands at that, like, 
you're not supposed to have hands like that when you're that big. Like most guys, it's like you're either small and you've got the hands and, and you've got the hand-eye coordination to, to kind of get in and out of those tight spaces or you're big and you can bulldoze through, but you necessarily aren't going to finish as much. This guy is a tank. He goes to the net and he's got the hands to finish. It's amazing to me how often he deeks the goalie out of his pads and then just kind of like skates around him and tucks it around the post. Like he's done it multiple times. I can't think of any other player in the league that scored that type of goal uh, more than once this year. Um, his hands are unreal in tight. He's fun to watch. And he uh, hammers the puck. Oh, right. Yeah. That shot he had the other night. Yeah. Yeah. He's he I mean, he's got everything you you need. And and you mentioned like he's six six. When you say six six, I'm like, man, it seems like he's like six nine because he's a center taking face offs. Like he it, he looks bigger because he's not a defenseman back there being six six. Like when you're when you're six six as a defenseman, it doesn't stand out as much as it does for him. Um he's a lot of fun to watch. I, I actually covered his dad down in Florida. I can't remember if his dad actually played a game. Uh, for the Panthers, but he was definitely there two or three years, a, a minor league player, and he was called up a, a couple times. And I, I used to sit with him in the press box and talk with him when he was scratched uh, after call-ups. And he was w- one tough SOB. I mean, I remember interviewing Paul Laws about Brent Thompson, who I think is still coaching, right, Hartford? Uh, is he coaching, guys? I, I'm pretty positive he's still an AHL coach. Um, but anyway, um, I remember talking to Paul Laws, who's one of the who is the toughest player that I've ever uh, covered. And he said Brent Thompson could go toe-to-toe with anybody back then. And he had, I mean, you know, hundreds and hundreds of penalty minutes, both in the NHL and the AHL. And, uh, you know, just a heck of a player uh, in, in his own right. He reminds me, and hear me out here, of Chara, Zidane Chara. When Chara first came in the league, he was, we'd never seen a player like look like that. And at first it was almost an awkwardness. There was an awkwardness to him that, he needed to feel feel it out and, and learn how to use his body in the right way. And when he did, watch out. I feel like this is the year Tage Thompson has done that. Because last year was all about shoot, 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 shoot. This year, he's still hammering the puck. But like Jesse said, he he's scoring goals in tight that you're not supposed to be able to do. That You're not supposed to have that kind of coordination mm-hmm. when you're built like he is. Um, he's just been absolutely incredible. And by, by the way, he uh, just one correction. Uh, Thompson was coaching uh, Bridgeport, not Hartford. Ah, there you go. Uh, Daryl Sutter, another great Daryl Sutter quote to talk about. Leafs and Flames <laughs> Saturday night in Toronto. Three seconds into overtime, and Jonathan Huberto gets a high-sticking call. Of course, the Leafs win. And of course, Sutter's asked about it. And he said, quote, and I'm not even going to try to do a Daryl Sutter impression. Um, that's the one thing I learned a long time ago. When you're in Chicago all those years and you come to Toronto... You'd know what's going on. I won't say nothing more. Uh, I know coaches are always lobbying and there's crowd influence in certain ranks, but uh, I, I just thought it was interesting that he's saying, you come to Toronto, expect to get calls against you. You're getting calls against you because your team's getting beat on the ice by a fast <laughs> team that draws. Like, How do penalties get drawn? When you have the puck a lot and when you're faster than the other team because you've got to grab guys as they're going past you. Toronto is better and faster than Calgary right now. That's how penalties get drawn. Yeah, it certainly doesn't help uh, Toronto in the playoffs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime anyone could just take a jab at, at the Leafs playoff woes, it's always fun. Yeah, they, they, they get the calls in the regular season only, and then, they, then the refs go against them. Last rapid fire topic, guys, and Jesse, we're going to start with you on this one because it deals with Jack Eichel on the IR again. Lower body injury, must miss seven days, and... It's interesting. We were kind of chatting about this off the air, and I'll bring it onto the onto the air. That 2015 draft, if it was held again, 
are we still looking? You know, we've talked about Mitch Marner. We've talked about Eichel. We've talked about McDavid. Obviously, McDavid goes first. But are you drafting any differently there? It went McDavid, Eichel, Strom, Marner, Noah Hannafin. Are you taking Eichel or are you taking Marner? Um, I would still take Eichel. Um, and and I like I said off the air, I didn't appreciate Jack Eichel's game as much when he was in Buffalo. Like I knew he was a spectacular player, but I didn't see him every day. I didn't watch him every night like I do now. Um, I think maybe if I watched Marner every night, maybe I'd have a bias towards that way. But um, first of all, he's a center and centers are more valuable than wings um, for the most part in, in hockey. So I think if there's a tie, it goes to the center. But also, um, I'm just I, I think Jack Eichel's really, really good. I think, yeah, he's had some injury problems. Um, I think this is not going to be a long, long term one. I think he'll be back pretty soon. Um, but he's been so good this year. I mean, not just the goal scoring and, and the, the, the playmaking that you know about, but Bruce Cassidy challenged him to, to improve his defensive game this season. And he has. I mean, he has. I last time I checked, he has the most goals above replacement defensively. Um, his his defensive metrics are leading all forwards in the NHL. Um, it's been like a week since I checked that, and he's been hurt, so maybe somebody's passed him since then. But he has been one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL this year. He's finally using his like he's got one of the best first two steps in the league in terms of just explosion. And you think offense when you think that, but he's really using that to close on guys. He's using his strength to 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 win stick battles. Um, when he ha- when he's on, he is insanely good. Not that Mitch Marner isn't, um, but yeah, I'd, I would still take Eichel. You mentioned uh, how you've grown an appreciation, Jesse, of his game on the ice. How about how about off the ice? Because at the NHL media tour, he, he was super affable to all of us. Um, you know, I cover Marcus Foligno here in Minnesota, and he has long told me. Uh, in fact, Marcus was hoping when the Wild were in on Eichel that they would get Eichel, but Marcus has long told me that he gets a bad rap and is a great guy. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the reputation Eichel had in Buffalo um, by some upset fans that didn't win as much as they'd like to, I think he got a lot of the blame when he shouldn't have. And I think he he gets I like the whole like putting that like putting it on him as not being able to win enough games. OK, I get it. But then you hear things like he's not a good teammate and. I don't hear that at all. Like I, everything I hear in Vegas is the Golden Knights players are more than happy to have him. He's he's one of the better guys in the room. And with me, he's been nothing but professional. Here's what I. He's a little bit of a smart ass. Like I like I'll admit that. And like I like my athletes to have a little bit of like flair. Like I like these guys are the best. They 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 ride around on blades on the ice and they hit people and they score goals. Like they should have some some like like I don't know some spark to their personality. Swagger. I think that swagger. May, yeah, some swagger that may that may rub some people the wrong way, especially when you're losing. For me, it doesn't. I like that Jack Eichel has some swagger. I like that he'll if he'll he'll give you a little smart ass que- uh, answer every once in a while. Um, everybody goes back to his little like shot he took at the Buffalo fans, like. They booed eighteen thousand people. Booed him for three straight hours. You don't expect the guy to chirp back at you. He's a <laughs> hockey player. We're hockey fans. We love these guys to chirp. But then when they chirp back at the fans after they're booing him, we're all upset. Like no, I I like Jack Eichel. I I think he gets a bad rap um, unnecessarily because he was on a team that lost a lot. Um, 
I, I have no problems with Jack Eichel off the ice. You know, what I, uh, you know what I always say is that nobody has thinner skin than the media. <laughs> you know, like we critique these guys all the time. And yet if somebody ever comes up to like, you know, gives us a little so rip true. in the locker room, we're just like all pissy and like, where do you get off and all that stuff? Like I, I asked, you know, Matt Boldy, I don't, I still don't think it was a dumb question, but Matt, I asked Matt Boldy a question the other day that, you know, a lot of people online were like, oh my God, he really gave it to you. And I actually thought it was hilarious, his reaction to me. And, um, like, I have no problem with that stuff ever. Um, the only time I'll ever get ticked with a player, like, I once asked a player, I won't say who it was. <laughs> this is going to make me sound awful. <laughs> uh, this, I asked a player a question. He rolled his eyes at me. I waited to the scrum to dissipate, and I went up to the player. I'm like, let me just tell you right now, I've been covering this league longer than you've been alive. Don't ever roll your eyes at me again. <laughs> you know, like that. I, I did say that once. Um, and he actually, like, totally apologized and got it and all that stuff. But, like, th- like I think a lot of the Jack Eichel stuff just comes from, like, the you know, it was a lot of stress in Buffalo. A lot of stress. And there was a lot of quarrels sometimes with the media and him, and, and I think that's part of it. Looks like he's having fun now in Vegas, baby, Vegas. All right, guys, what are we working on this week? Russell, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, uh, g- got a really, really cool Ryan Reeves piece coming out that's going to run probably just before Christmas. We were going <laughs> we to do it December 27th when the Wild go to Winnipeg, but I'm a little worried that he might even not play that game because the Wild are getting healthier and he could be the odd guy out. So we're going to run it right before, but I talked to his dad the other day. He's one of the best CFL players ever, uh, MVP of the league, was once traded in a trade with Taylor Hall's dad from Edmonton to Winnipeg. How about that? I, I texted him this yesterday. I'm like, hey, am I reading this right? The way like I clicked this hyperlink and it looks to me like you were traded with Steve Hall once, who happens to be Taylor. He's like, yep. Um, and then I'm talking to Jordan Reeves, his brother who plays uh, in the CFL now, um, who's also married to a NASCAR driver, by the way. I'm talking to him tomorrow for this uh, awesome story, or that might be even today. That I'm talking to him. So that'll be cool. Um, and then I mentioned I'm going to Arizona, um, sitting down with, uh, I shouldn't give all this away, but I'm sitting down with Maddie Nyes and his dad, Austin Matthews' dad. I'm doing some podcasts with Tage Thompson, Kevin Adams, Bill Armstrong. Uh, so a lot of really cool stuff that will be coming up that you will not only read, but you'll be uh, hearing some of this stuff on the athletic hockey shows next week. Cool. That's a bunch of good stuff, Michael. I don't have nearly as much stuff. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm writing a cool story on uh, player numbers, the numbers that they wear on their jerseys for the Golden Knights. i uh, gotten some good stories from the guys about how they've got their numbers, how other guys have got their numbers. A lot of fun. And then also a gear story. I'm just obsessed <laughs> with hockey gear. So I'm writing I'm writing a national gear story um, just about like the brands that players yeah. use. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Have you talked to uh, Marc-Andre Fleury for that story, by the way? Like he's fascinating. He just for the first time oh, changed yeah. from a wooden stick to a graphite, which he hates, by the yeah. way, because he when he snaps it, when he like slams it over his goalpost, it doesn't break anymore. Um, but the other one is he, he like you know those callings on the bottom of skates. Like he's like the only one in the league that still doesn't have like the one the, the like where one it's piece. Just, yeah, yep. like he he's the only one in the league apparently that has maybe him and Brian Elliott. He said that like you know you actually have to screw it on there and things like that. He's a fascinating guy. You know, like a lot of these guys, as you mentioned, like uh, with these gears, like some of these guys wear gear that they wore when they were in juniors. Eric Stahl wears these mesh shorts that he wore in juniors still to this day. It's crazy. Phil Phil Kessel's underwear that he like like all the gear he wears under his stuff looks like it was from the Civil War. <laughs> like, like, like it's un- it's insane. Are there mustard stains on it from the hot dogs or no? <laughs> oh, yeah. stop it. Stop it. All right, boys. Thanks. I promised a fantastic show and we end up with mustard stains on Phil Kessel's underwear. 
How can that not be labeled as fantastic? Uh, I want to remind everybody, if you want to hear more about mustard stains on underwear, it's pretty simple. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. I want to let you know some other things you can listen to. Derek Lalonde, Detroit Red Wings head coach, uh, joined Sean Gentili and Max Boltman on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And Bill Guerin is going to join Joe Smith and Russo on the final Straight from the Source of 2022 this coming Friday. And remember, you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month uh, for a year when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. For Jesse, for Russo, I'm Pizzo. We'll see you next week.